to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his own blood and made us a kingdom and priest to God his Father, to him be the glory and the power forever. Amen. The word of God guiding our meditation this evening is found in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 26, as printed in your bulletin and already read. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, live in the moment. The past is past. Focus on the future. We have all heard or perhaps even made comments like those. Increasingly, the society we live in seems to be operating with such maxims guiding it, with heads buried in smartphones, hours consumed binge-watching the latest shows on Netflix, and political positions seeming to be disconnected from anything that happened more than three years ago. The people around us seem, in many respects, to have forgotten how to remember things that are unpleasant or difficult or possibly offensive to someone seem particularly likely to suffer in their recall. Does it matter? We can understand why it happens and maybe even relate, but but what happens if we don't remember, if we misremember, or if we simply tone down the harder or harsher parts of the past? It may seem like no big deal until we realize how it might actually work out. The life-threatening abuse of a husband or father can be re-remembered as a mere anger management issue when that man becomes powerful. Where does that leave the abused? Pearl Harbor Day can end up commemorating a trip to Hawaii by some Japanese pilots. And D-Day, just a memory of how a bunch of Americans and Brits and some others went to the coast of France to meet some Germans. Abraham Lincoln gets remembered not for a war to end slavery or preserve the Union, but for going to see a play at Ford's Theater at the same time a famous actor was there. 9-11 gets transformed into some people doing something. And the Declaration of Independence and Constitution become mere museum pieces without current meaning and unconnected to any reality. So, remembering the past, even and often especially what is hard and harsh from the past, and remembering it right, is important. Not because we should take some kind of sadistic interest in past pains, but because these things teach us. They teach us to take seriously, in the present and for the future, what has been passed down to us from the past. Sometimes we learn lessons about what to do and what not to do, and other times remembering teaches us the value or meaning of things that might all too easily be overlooked or unappreciated in a culture that is all about what's in it for me right now. We understand then, from his double emphasis, that Jesus wants us to take seriously what he is saying and doing, what he is giving when he institutes the Lord's Supper among his disciples at that Maundy Thursday meal. 
Paul recounts it in our reading from 1 Corinthians. Christ says it twice. Do this in remembrance of me. The do this, well, that's pretty clear. Eat the unleavened bread and drink the wine from the cup, just as he had done and just as he had given it to the disciples. But what exactly does he mean? What exactly does he want them and us to remember? His name and identity, sure, not just Jesus of Nazareth, but, but everything about who he was. Not just the Son of Mary, but also the Son of God himself. Not just a great moral teacher, but the long-promised Messiah and King of the Jews. A miracle worker, yes, but even more a mercy worker and a preacher of God's grace instead of the worthless works of self-righteousness. But most importantly, Christ's in remembrance of me points to what he was then forever connecting with the bread and wine of his supper, what he did and endured for us as our Savior. The disciples gathered there around the table did not yet understand it all, but soon they would. And as painful as would have been the memories of Christ's mistreatment and execution and their own faithlessness, the knowledge of what it all meant and accomplished would have made clear just how important this remembering would be. Because what was about to happen to Christ's body and blood was not some kind of unexpected or inexplicable tragedy. It was instead the fulfillment, not only of God's promises and prophecies, but also of the mission that the Son of God came to carry out. Having lived his life as a man in complete, sinless, and perfect obedience to his Father's will, Jesus then gave that life as a sacrifice for sin. Not for his sin, since he had none, but for the sins of all people, of all the world, of all time. Because he was God and not just man, his death would count. It would be sufficient to cancel out all the, 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 the measureless mountain of humanity's guilt and the accumulated offense of all people's disobedience and rebellion. And so Jesus did not step aside from what he knew was coming to him. He understood when he entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday that his enemies would be enraged. But his time had come. He understood when they tested and, and tried to intimidate him during the week that when they failed to deter him, they would plot his death. He understood that Judas, one of the twelve men, the, the twelve friends that he had invested years of his life teaching and training, he understood that Judas had arranged to betray him later that evening and that he would be arrested, put on trial in a sham of justice and condemned to death. Jesus understood that before his execution, he would be abused and insulted and scourged and spat on. 
And he understood that the sentence would not be a swift beheading, the the crushing of thrown stones, or the quick choking of hanging. He would instead be nailed to a cross to die the slow, excruciating, and humiliating death of a criminal. And he did it all, faced it all, endured it all willingly because he loved his disciples, even Judas, because he loved his people, even the Pharisees, and because he loved the world, even you and me. He offered up his body and blood to suffering and death to win us the forgiveness of sins and to deliver us from death and hell because there was and is no other way for us to be freed of our guilt or its eternal consequences. Only his work could save us and only by trusting in him and his sacrifice can we be saved. So that Thursday evening, Jesus not only gave himself over to complete his mission, he gave us something that would strengthen that faith within us and offer us over and over the very same forgiveness he would gain for us on the cross, the sacrament of Holy Communion, his blessed supper. In, with, and under the bread, we receive the very body that was whipped and pierced and crucified for us. And in, with, and under the wine, we receive the very blood that was poured out for us. And so in this blessed meal, Christ's repentant, believing disciples all receive everything that that body and blood were sacrificed for. But believing reception is by no means a mindless reception. The Lord's Supper is neither medicine nor magic that works without our involvement. Instead, He calls us to remember Him each time we eat and drink. And we do. We eat and drink in remembrance of Him so that Jesus never becomes for us what He has become for so many. Nothing more than some really nice holy guy with long hair and a beard who who taught us to love each other and then was tragically killed by people who didn't like love. We remember Christ in His Supper so that we never forget the horrendous price God paid for our salvation, the body, blood, and life of His only begotten, beloved Son. We remember who it was who gave these gifts so that we believe his words actually mean what they say and have the power to do what they say, to give us his real body with the bread and his real blood with the wine, even though our limited human minds cannot make sense of it. We remember Jesus in the sacrament, so we take it seriously. We remember Him so that we value it appropriately. We remember the Lord so that we seek His supper regularly and often. And we do not remember just for ourselves individually and in a just me and Jesus moment at the altar. We remember together 
as one body, as His church, as the family of God, one in our confessing and communing, just as, 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 as Paul reminded us earlier, there is one bread and one cup. But our remembrance is also for others, too. Because as often as we eat this bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And we imitate Paul as well, in that we pass on to those who come after us, children and and new believers, we pass on what was passed on to us. The true testimony of Christ, the true teaching about His Supper. This is what we have. This is what we do. This is who we are. In remembrance of me tells us it is all important and all of great value and tells us to take it seriously for ourselves and for others. The Passover meal Jesus shared with His disciples took on the meaning of the passion that began that evening. And this once again becomes how we are known as His one body, as His disciples today, as the family of God. Christ's sacrifice on the cross, which is now embodied in the bread and wine, identifies and describes us. We are rememberers. Amen. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. Amen.